Each of those folks had stories, had something in common. They obviously several things about their posture. <clears throat> but something was happening in each one that I think is universal for us. Even if, even if you didn't see yourself exactly in one of those situations or circumstances, I'm certain that you've been in the same place that those people were. Because we, we go about life, we move, we walk certain paths. We go down certain roads. And as we go down those roads, things come along that, 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 that cause us to have to look to the left and to the right. They cause us to have to look around, to stop and consider that there may be something else going on. There may be more to this life than just what I'm trying to make of it. And today we're going to take another look. We've been in the book of Exodus. If you've got your Bible, if you've got your Bible, if you'd go to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. And as you go there, um, I want to um, just talk about the way that, um, the way that, um, that we, we, in this series, we've been talking about um, things that bind us, areas where we're chained, where we're, we're enslaved. And, um, and, and we, we've been looking at the story of... of the, the children of Israel, as, as they've been in Egypt for hundreds of years, and now in Egypt, they've become slaves. They're, they're, they're in bondage, and they're, they're essentially the, the work is being heaped on them, and their situation is worsening. And God is, is beginning to stir. He's beginning to move. But if, if you weren't with us, we, we, talk, we discussed last week how, how there's some things that happen in the early chapters of the book of Exodus that set the table. They provide a backdrop and, 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 and for what God is going to do. But, but at present, he's, he's beginning to stir, but he hasn't moved. And we discussed last week how that's so true in our lives as well. That we, we, we may, it may look to us like God's not doing anything. Like my situation is bad and it's only getting worse. And it's, it takes an act of faith to believe that even in the midst of those circumstances, God is at work. He's moving. There are things happening behind the scenes that we may not see, we may not understand. And he's preparing something great for us. He's, he's readying us for a feast of his power and his mercy. But sometimes it takes a while, right? It takes a while. So today in Exodus chapter 3, we're going to find Moses, and what's happened to Moses, in, in Exodus chapter 2, remember, he killed an Egyptian, and he, and he heads off, he takes off. And what's happened to Moses is he's, he's been on a, he's been moving in a direction, the direction is down. He was a prince, he, he had been taken in by the daughter of Pharaoh, he'd lived like a king in the palace. But then, and that, and that was probably, as best, we, as best we could tell, that was probably about the first 40 years of his life. So he'd lived kind of a, a, a full life already in luxury with, with everything that, that life could provide him with as a, as a prince. And then he, he takes action, matters into his own hands, and he takes action in Exodus chapter 2, and he kills an Egyptian. And because of that, he has to run. And he runs to the wilderness, right? He runs to the wilderness. And, and that time in the wilderness sent him on, on a path that was downward. Instead of being a prince, he's living out, out in the, the middle of nowhere, Instead of having all things provided for him, he's actually having to, I can get loud if I have to turn this off, okay? Instead of living like a, living like a prince and having everything provided for him, he has, to, he has to make do for himself, 
okay? Instead of, um, instead of having anything provided for him, Moses has to provide for himself. He has to work hard. He, he marries into a family, marries into a family in the land of Midian, as we're going to see here in, in Exodus chapter 3. And his responsibility is to tend to sheep. He's gone from someone who, who basically had everything taken care of for him, and now he finds himself in a situation where he has to care for the needs of the, the sheep. Right? He's been on this downward path. And again, as best we can tell, the events that take place here is another 40 years. That Moses spent 40 years as a prince, and then he spent 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years as a prince and 40 years in the wilderness. He's going to live another 40 years. So if Moses' life is a three-act play, the first act was luxury, and it's covered in the book of of Exodus in, in one chapter. The second chapter of his life was sort of misery or, or solitude in the wilderness. And it's covered in Exodus chapter 2. Everything else we're going to look at, the rest of the story, Act 3 for Moses, is chapters and chapters and chapters in the book of Exodus. So we want to talk about this. We want to look at the story of Moses in Exodus chapter 3. Are you there? Verse 1. It says this, it says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Okay? This is kind of a common image. We've, we've heard this story, many of us, many times, the burning bush, right? So Moses, and here's what's fascinating to me. Moses is on a path. He's tending to the sheep. He's just doing what shepherds do. He's probably not thinking about major metaphysical questions of life and its meaning and purpose. He's probably just trying to keep the sheep on the path, just trying to make sure that he does his job one day at a time, one step at a time. And suddenly he looks over and the bush is on fire. I don't know if you had a chance to be at the bonfire last night, had a great time, those that were there. But when, it, when you see a burning bush, right, the best thing to do is to throw water on it, okay? Yeah, last night at the bonfire, there was a big bucket of water. I'm like, what's the water for? And someone told me, like, oh, that's in case, like, someone falls in. I said, that can happen, okay? Like, I've, I've never seen it. I guess it can, but, but, but we had a bucket of water. But, but Moses looks at this bush, and behold, it was burning. It was on fire, but it wasn't consumed. There was something, something miraculous going on in the story. Keep reading, verse 3. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight. Not a bad idea. Why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. So Moses is on a path. He's tending to the sheep. He sees the bush, right? There's a distraction. And Moses says he turned aside to see it. He moved off of his path to see the bush. And the Lord speaks to him. Keep reading, verse 5. Then he said, do not, this is, then he, the Lord said, do not come near Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So God identifies himself. He tells Moses, this is who I am. The stories that, you, that have been passed down generation after generation after generation, the mighty things that were done in your forefathers, I'm the one who did them. I'm talking to you now. 
verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel have come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So this is, these are echoes of things that we've already read. But, but, but I do want to make a, a quick point on this. In, in, in Exodus chapter 2, at the end of the chapter, it says that, this is, that the Lord had heard. He heard the people. He remembered his promise to them. It said he saw what was going on. He was with them. He was in the midst of it. He wasn't distant from it. But at that point in time, God hadn't moved. He saw it. He heard it. He remembered. But he hadn't moved. And here we are, 40 years later. On the page of the scriptures, they pass just in a, it's just, it passes in a few lines. But in real time, decades have moved. Decades have gone by. The people are oppressed. It hasn't gotten easier. This is the story that we find here. This is the story that we find here. Now look at Moses' response in verse 11. So Moses says to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Fair question, okay? Fair question. Verse 12, He, the Lord, said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Okay? Now we're going to camp here for a minute. Because we're going to, in those first 12 verses, we see a couple responses out of Moses. We see a couple responses out of Moses. One, one that I believe is, is understandable, but it's not the response that God's looking for. And another that kind of, it just seems to pass by, and it's exactly what God is looking for. The first thing is this. The first response, and we'll start here at the end, right? The first response is this. Moses' first response, did you see what he said? Was to assume that the work God had put in front of him was about him. Okay? Did you see that again in verses 11 and 12? Look at what it says. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Did you catch that? Who am I? This is so big who am I that I should do this? This is Moses' mistake, and we'll see it again. But this is Moses' mistake where he says, he says, this thing's big. It's really big. In fact, it's so big, I can't do it. Okay? I can't do it. And he's right. That's a fair response. But at the same time, how does, what does God say? Oh, no, no, Moses. It's not your job. The, where I'm sending you, this is my work. I'm going to be the one who does this, by the way, lest you think you're going to wind up with the glory. This isn't your work. It's my work. See, the issue isn't, when we think about this, and we think about Moses, and we think about ourselves in relationship to this story and what's going on, the issue for us isn't who we are. When we think about God's work, when we think about his invitation to let go of our grip and get our hands up, when we think about the things that God may be asking us to do in life, the issue isn't who we are. It's not who I am. 
The issue is who God is and what he wants to do. It's going to take Moses a little time to get to that place where he accepts that. Okay? Just like with you and I, when God, when God moves in our life and there's something that we're asked to do or, or a place that we're asked to go, something that we're asked to give up, it is normal and natural for our first response to be, yeah, but I. Yeah, but I. I can't do that. If I give that up, these things are going to happen. If, if, if this is what you want from me, God, that's bigger than I can do. And I think God, just, God looks at us and he goes, of course it is. If, if you could do it, then it's not, there's nothing supernatural about it. There's no power behind it other than your own power. The things that God asks us to do we ought to begin to expect that there are things we can't do on our own. That needs to become the new norm. Now, the second thing that we see about Moses that I think it, it passes by in the story pretty quickly, but, but it has to do with distraction. And I just, this, here's the statement, and, and it's, it's poorly worded, forgive me, but God gave Moses more once Moses responded to God's first move, okay? God gave Moses more once Moses responded to God's first move. Do you see what happened? Moses is going along. Remember the scenario in the situation. Moses is going along tending to his sheep. It's verses 3 and 4. Okay? And, and, and Moses is going along. He's on a path. He's moving, and something distracts him. Now, not all distractions are good, right? Um, I've, I had an accident, a car accident once. Once. And the car accident took place because I was driving along, and I saw something interesting on the side of the road. And... Lo and behold, a car stopped in front of me, right? It, was, it wasn't my best day, okay, a long time ago. But, but not all distractions are good, but I want to say this to us right now, okay? I want to say this to us. God is in the distraction business. God is trying to get our attention in the same way that he was working to get Moses' attention. I'm going to assume, okay, I'm going to assume that maybe bushes were on fire regularly in the wilderness, Maybe. I mean, it wasn't, it's not that unusual to see a fire. But, I, but it's very unusual, highly unusual, to see the, the bush aflame and it not be burnt up or consumed. Now, Moses is on a path. He sees something that catches his attention. Okay? And there are multiple responses you can have to that. And, and I think many of them are reasonable. Fear is a reasonable response. Right? To, I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to keep moving. I got the sheep. I got issues. I got things to take care of. I got my daily business. I got my father-in-law breathing down my neck, tending to his sheep. I'm going to keep moving. That's a reasonable response. It's also a reasonable response to what Moses does, to check it out. But I want to say that in the moment, in the moment, Moses had choices. He had options. He had options. And the option he took was to look. This thing has caught my attention. There's something out of, the, out of the ordinary. There's something unusual that's happening. And now I have a choice. I can, I can sort of, like, I can, I can just observe it as I go by along my path. I can stay the course and just sort of say, get home that night and say, I saw the craziest thing today. Tell the story. Or I can stop. And I can divert my path. And I can actually go look. And notice when Moses goes, so God has God caught his attention, and when he goes, that's when the Lord speaks. You catch this? 
That's when the Lord speaks. So Moses is on his path. He, he sees the, the thing going on. He sees the burning bush, and he takes a step, and he moves towards that bush, and that's when the Lord speaks to him and gives him more. Moses. Notice, like, now, again, a burning bush is a nice sign, right? <laughs> like, I'd take that. But Moses still had to respond. He still had to move towards what God was doing. I think there's still, I think, I think bushes still burn. Okay? To, use, to use the picture, to use the metaphor. I think bushes still burn. We, we look at that and we think, we think what, a, what an, a crazy, incredible sign. But I, I, I think that we are surrounded by crazy and incredible signs. I think things happen around us all the time that are burning bushes. They're God's way of trying to grab our attention, trying to, to yank us, yank our vision, move our head, do something to get us from just the blinders that we put on to move forward along our path. I think it happens all the time. I think God uses any number of things. I know he uses his word. He uses the scriptures. You saw in the, in the drama, there's, there's this sense that we, we have that, that was expressed there that, that folks, when in the midst of a question, in the midst of a thing, the scriptures oftentimes come to our mind when we know them. I think he uses hurt and pain. I think he uses beauty to catch us up into something bigger than what we've experienced before. I think he uses circumstances and situations beyond our control that, that might shock us and alert us. Um, there's, there's three times in my life where I nearly died. I'm trying not, I don't want to be overly dramatic, but there's three times in my life I almost died. I'm only going to share one today because I hope to be up again and, you know, I need to save some material. Um, but... <laughs> But there's three times where I nearly died. There's the incident in the back of the Ford pickup truck later. There's the incident on I-275 in Tampa later, okay? And then there's the time where I was, I was a junior in college. I was a junior in college. And um, I took a baseball. I was a baseball player in college. And I took a baseball. I was sitting in the dugout, and a baseball came in off a bat on the fly, and it hit me right on my nose, just right on my nose. And it went, boo, and it popped out of the dugout, went towards first base. I was on the first, that side. So the ball comes in. There's a freshman hitting. He couldn't hit a fastball. So the ball comes in. He's late. It comes in, boom, straight off my nose, and boom, out it goes. Okay? In my recollection of this event, okay, in my recollection of this event, by the way, I never saw the ball. It was, it was seventh inning of a doubleheader. I was a catcher. I was exhausted. I'm just slumped over on the bench. Okay? maybe, again, this is years ago, maybe there was a commotion to my left. But all I know is that impact, and then, again, in my memory, I went, oh, like a groan, right? I come to find out later, that ball hit me. I went face first down into the floor of the dugout, okay? And the groan came like five minutes later when I, came, when I was starting to come to. Knocked me out cold, okay? Do you want to know? This is, this is the truth, total truth. You want to know? The only medical attention I had after that was a tetanus shot. I'm not kidding. I went to the, they took me to, they took me to the emergency room, and they said, uh, everything's fine? Like, how do you feel? Okay. They said, we noticed in your chart that you have no record of a tetanus shot. <laughs> you physicians are sick people. Right? It was probably just a resident or something. 
But I, when, I, when I think about it, there's a couple ways to look at that, right? Wow, what a crazy like, set of circumstances that a round baseball coming off a round bat at 90 miles per hour comes into a dugout, and, and the physics that are involved to hit right on the bridge of the nose, that's amazing. But if, you think, if I think about this, if I had been two inches to my right, that ball probably wipes out my temple, Right? If that ball, again, the physics of round ball, round bat, if that ball had come off at a different angle and hits me an inch lower, it probably wipes my nose right off my face. Or an inch higher, it hits me right in the forehead, and who knows, right? Now look, I can look at that in any number of ways. What a happy coincidence that all of those things lined up. I have that choice in my life. But I can also look at the things that happen in my life. It's the hand of God. Maybe, just maybe, God's got something. Now, we can say it wasn't your day or whatever. Now, I feel very much that it was my day. I feel very much that that, that day is a day to put my finger down on the calendar and say, I'm, I'm to be here. Too much, too, too much of it, to coincidence, it's impossible that it happened just that way. My life was preserved. It was saved. Now, we can look at it any number of ways, but for me, it's a burning bush moment. I was just going about my life. I'm playing baseball, going to college, dating a really lovely lady who's now my wife. I was just going about my life, doing my own thing. But it shook me. I'm not saying that, not saying that I'm ready to lead the children of Israel out of bondage. But I, I believe, I think that God's done something to preserve me. And I think he's done the same thing for you. I think you've had burning bushes in your life. They're, they're, we, don't, we just don't call them that because of our perspective on what, what went on in those moments. But I believe God has done has had an active hand in your life, the same as he's had in mine, the same as he's had in Moses. He's using things all around us to catch our attention, to jerk our head out of the routine that we live in, to teach us something, to show us more of who he is. And when we see him, we see it for what it is. When we recognize him for what he's doing, He gives us more. He shows us more of himself. He tells us more about who he is. I'm that God. I'm engaged in your life. I see you. I'm with you. I hear you. That happens. And so Moses responds, and and for the last few minutes here, I want to summarize the next section. For the sake of time, we're going to have to look at it in summary. But I want to do it this way. I think, I think there's three reasons that we don't chase burning bushes. Okay? I, I think they're, and, and they're the same as Moses' reasons. There may be more, but I think there's three common ones. That things happen. God speaks into our life. He interrupts our path. And we just kind of keep moving along our path and maybe keep an eye on that. And later we sort of go like, eh, that was a cool thing that happened. But do we respond? I think there's three reasons. The first is this. 
we don't really know who God is. Notice what Moses says. This is chapter 3, verse 13. It's the very next verse after what we just read a moment ago. It says, Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? I think one reason, one reason that we don't chase burning bushes is because we, we don't really have a theology of who God is in the details of our life. We don't really believe that he's at work. We keep him distant from us. We say the same thing that Moses says here. We go, look, if I get crazy about this and I start to say, like, God's telling me something, people are going to say, like, yeah, what kind of crazy God is talking to you? We act that way. We, we say, I can't, go too, I can't go overboard with this God thing. If I start saying that, people will start to believe that I actually think God speaks to me. But God does speak to us. That's, that, that's our, we, we believe he's spoken through the centuries. We believe his spirit abides in us and amongst us. We believe that through his people, through community, God still speaks. The scriptures themselves tell us that the heavens declare his glory. Paul writes in Romans that what, what isn't known about God can be known about him when we just look around at the world around us. God speaks. God speaks. And I think sometimes we, we don't, we don't want to deal with the fact that God is still active. God is still on the move. He's still burning bushes all around us. We like it better when those bushes are just off to the side and, and we're kind of moving away from them. We put them in our rearview mirror and we can tell a nice story. Maybe call it a testimony. But I, I believe God wants to get our attention. And so God responds to Moses. And for the sake of time, God says, here's the deal. He says, when they ask, you just tell them I am that I am sent you. It's like this wild, ambiguous phrase. But it basically assumes this. I am the one God who is real, who is active. I'm the one who's doing everything. That's why it became so blasphemous. Centuries later, when Jesus used those very words, I am. And the priests and Pharisees, they wanted to kill him for saying it because he was connecting himself to this God. I'm the one who's behind all things. I'm the one who's orchestrating every circumstance of your life. I am sent you. Tell them that. Tell them... I, this thing, this thing can't be a coincidence. There's got to be more to it because I believe. I believe there's a God who is real. And that God is not distant. He's with us. He's active. He's, he's showing us things. He's leading us. I think one reason we don't chase burning bushes is because, quite frankly, we don't want to deal with the reality of the situation we live in. We're, we're functional naturalists. We, we only accept the natural world except maybe sometimes when we want to sing a certain song or when we want an explanation for something that we don't understand. But when it comes to the way we actually pursue things in our lives, we very rarely count on God. All right, that's one reason. I think we don't, we don't really know who God is in a practical sense. As we keep looking in chapter 4, I think the second reason is, is that we think that no one will believe in us. 
or believe us. Okay? Moses says at the beginning of chapter 4, he, has, he continues this dialogue with God. But at the beginning of chapter 4, Moses says to God, but behold, they will not, they, the others I'm going to tell this about. It's not me anymore. Like, I, okay, I get who you are. But they, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. They'll say, the Lord did not appear to you. And this is, the Lord responds by giving Moses some signs. Okay, he throws down his staff and it turns into a snake. He picks the snake up by the tail. They're all tail, right? But like the very end of the tail and it becomes a staff again. Okay. He sticks his hand in his coat and pulls it back out and he has leprosy, skin disease. Puts it back in and it's healed. He throws water from the Nile on the ground. It turns to blood. God says, look, I'm going to give you some evidence. I'm going to give you evidence. Now, you have to go. You have to go. You can't just walk by this opportunity and do nothing. But if you go, I'm going to give you all the evidence you need to gather all the people who need to respond to you. And I think a lot of times, we don't chase burning bushes. We don't chase, when God interrupts our life, we move away from it because we're worried that if we do that, no one's going no one's to respond to it. And so, I've got, some, I've got some ways on my path where I've learned how to sort of move people, to shape people, to manipulate people, to control people so that I can stay on this path and it's comfortable for me and I don't have to deal with any risk. But God's saying, yeah, if you take the risk, I'll give you every, everything you need when it comes to people's response. He's saying, like, you're, Moses, you're not responsible for the way that people respond when you do what I've told you to do. You're not responsible for that. He says, I am. I'm the one. I'm the one who gives the evidence. I'm the one who brings about belief. Not you. I think we, sometimes we don't chase the distractions. We don't chase the burning bush. Because we think that if we do it, we go alone. No one's going to believe me. I'll be a fool. And the last thing. Still in chapter 4, verse 10, if you're with us. We believe that we lack what it, ta- what it takes, for lack of a better way of saying it. We think that, that we lack what it takes. We're missing something that's necessary for finishing the job. For Moses, he says, look, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and of tongue. I, basically, he says, like, there's a lot of them, and they're, I don't have the words. I can't do that. I can't do it. God's response is awesome. He says, yeah, who gives, who gives mouths? Who's, who's responsible for mouths and words, God says? Let me worry about the mouth and the words, Moses. Unfortunately, Moses persists. He pushes back a little harder. God says, okay, I'll send your brother. You've got this brother. The two of you together, we can work out the, the speaking arrangements between the two of you. The words, God says, the words are still mine. They're not your words, Moses. Moses pushes again, and it actually says the Lord's anger burned Moses. Because you see, the same mistake that we started this section with, where Moses believed that the task was about him, it was about the tools that he brought to the table. He thought that it was his mission. It was still present in Moses' resistance. He says, I don't have the tools, and God says, you don't need the tools. 
It's not about your tools, your ability. It's about me. It's about me. It's not about what you bring to the table, Moses. It's about what I have at the table. It's not about what you lack, Moses. It's about what I'm going to do in abundance. And I believe that, that oftentimes we, God has spoken to us. He said, just as we saw in this kid, he said, there's a, there's a financial need and you need to, to, to do something about that financial need. You're moved, you're provoked. But then the talk begins, right? And we say, but I don't have the extra to give. Just like we heard. Or there's, there's, we, we do encounter someone in need. And it may not be a financial need or a physical need. It might be an, a real hurt, a pain. And we say, yeah, but I don't, I'm not good at that. I don't have the words for that. I can't do anything about that. And God says, look, when you go, I give the words. If you say, if you move towards the bush, I'm there. I speak on your behalf. It boils down to to faith. It boils down to faith. Do we, will we believe that God gives everything that we need? That when, when, where he's moving, when we join him there, he supplies every need for the task. Or do we reason it out in ways that say, "Mm, it doesn't calculate for me. I can't make the numbers work out. And so I'm just going to keep persisting down my path. I'm going to keep walking this road that I'm on, tending to my little things, things that sort of keep my life moving the direction that I'd like it to go. I'm going to leave that burning bush over there. Maybe, hopefully somebody else will get that message, that memo. But God speaks. He speaks. And we're given every opportunity to say yes. Just to, to close up, notice where we, we, where we are here, right? Moses begins as a prince, and it's when his path goes down that he encounters the burning bush. When his path goes down, he encounters the burning bush. And here's what, this is preview of coming attractions. There's a lot of amazing stuff that's going to go down over the next many chapters in Exodus. Keep coming back. Read through this story. Because from this point, you see, from this point, when Moses begins to say yes, and he does, right here in chapter 4, he says, okay, God, I'm going to go. There may be some evidence he didn't still believe it, but he was going to go. But from there, Moses begins back upward. But it's, it's, he's not carried on his own strength. He doesn't get there because he was so great. He goes up because of what God does. And when God does it, God gets the glory. And, and, and we're okay with that. It's the same path that Jesus was on. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that our attitude, our mindset should be the same as Christ. Even though he was God, he didn't consider equality with God to be his goal. It says he made himself nothing. He went down. And he became obedient to death, even a humiliating death on a cross. 
That, that, was, that was the moment for Christ. But Philippians 2 doesn't stop. It says, and God glorified him and gave him a name that's above all names. that through Jesus we're made right, and it's all to God's glory. You see, this is the path. This is the move that God wants to take us on. He moves us downward. So many of us, we want to go from like prince, we want to jump over straight to glory. No, I, I want an easy life. I want a life where I'm, I'm, I've got this path I'm on. I want to stay on this path. I don't want to be diverted. I certainly don't want pain. I don't want trouble. And if I can just sort of shortcut the low points, right? If I can just hop from one high point to the next, I win. But that's not the pattern of God's work in the people's lives we read in the Scripture, including God in the flesh, including his own son. The path is down first so that we get to a place where we recognize, I I don't have the tools to do this. God's going to have to do it. Would you pray with me? God, we're, um, I, I, I just, I want to, I want to do it on my own. I want, I don't want to, I don't want to leave the path I'm on. I want to be comfortable and, and God, I, I recognize that you are just so often at work in, um, in showing me what you're doing. God, forgive us where we, we walk by. Forgive us where we, we take no notice. God, continue to show us. Please, um, please continue to show us where you're at work. Open our eyes. Help us to see where you're still burning bushes. God, we know that even without you, we don't have the, we don't have the faith to say yes. So, so, God, give us more. Give us faith to trust you. Equip us for the work that you've, you've asked us to do. Help us to be patient with, with what you're doing, waiting on your time, walking the path that you've put us on. So, God, we're... Um, We're thankful that you, you bring us together. We're thankful that you give us your word. You give us one another. And um, God, we just ask today that, um, that, that we know you go with us. That We ask that you would continue to show us more of your, who you are. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.